Welcome to the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast, where we feature physicians who are redefining the practice of medicine and changing the experience we have as doctors in medicine. We all know the system is broken, but we've decided not to complain about it anymore. We're out to fix it. I'm Dr. Una, your host. I'm a pediatrician and serial entrepreneur, but my passion is helping physicians create the freedom to live life and practice medicine on their terms. This is not just a podcast, it's a movement, a movement of change, and I invite you to be a part of it. Let's jump right in. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast. Today, I am excited because I have the amazing Dr. Mary Mass here, and she is a pediatrician and co-founder of Practicing Physicians of America. She is an advocate of advocates. She is definitely a blessing to the healthcare space. We need her in this time. And this is going to be a very eye-opening episode, and this is one of those where once you're done, we are going to go take action. So Dr. Marion, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, you are the picture of Doctors Changing Medicine. So absolutely. I'm going to start off with this. You are a pediatrician. And how did you get to the part of becoming an advocate? Because I think being a pediatrician, that's busy enough. (laughs) It's true. So when I trained in medical school, so I went to medical school 90 through 94, and I really felt that my training was very, how about I call it Hippocratically pure. We were for the patient. And so if you were going to do something, you better have like the patient in mind first. So if I went back to med school and and thought about uh, a time when I was presenting on stroke grounds to a visiting attending who was also part of Duke University, he questioned and wanted me to get a certain test for the patient. And the test was not going to change the course. It was very, very pricey. And I refused. And I refused in front of a whole round of people. And I got away with it because I told him exactly why it wasn't going to change the course. And when he questioned me back and he said, but we should do this out of interest because we're Duke University. I responded back, no, this is not your patient. He was a visiting attending. And I got away with it. You know, and like, if you think about it back then, like you were allowed to have impressions, opinions, physicians were running the hospital back then. We communicated with one another. And then I went off and I did my residency and and none of us really (laughs) were all exhausted during residency, correct? Came back to the area that I grew up in. And then I had my children at that point. And I think like when I woke up finally, because you know, you're a busy person, right? You know, like diapers and nighttime shifts and children and more children. We have three. I think I woke up when the third was in out of diapers. And I was like, my goodness, what happened to medicine? Everyone's telling us you have to use this EHR right here, this clunky EHR. And people are telling us you have to do, you know, these quality improvement measures. And now the, you know, the even our boards are telling us you must do maintenance of certification. These silly little hand washing modules that they're making me do trying to pretend that it's making me a better doctor. And like, I know they're minting money off of it. So I started paying attention and I really like the idea of a grassroots movement in medicine, we know that it's tied to politics to some extent, right? You know, we have laws and rules made and the people making the laws and the rules, they're paid off on both sides of the aisle. And if you look at the the top 
11 lobbying clients or, you know, people that donate money to Congress. Well, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who has people that have insurance, uh, there's insurance people on their boards. They're number one. Number three, over the last 20 years, the AMA. Number four, the American Hospital Association. Number five, Big Pharma. Number six, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Number 11, the AARP, who's functionally an insurance company. Six of the top 11 biggest groups that donate to Congress are in healthcare. And I think this is why healthcare is so messed up. And it is, make no mistake, it's across the aisle. Like they're getting in there with their lobbies, whispering what I call convenient untruths into the ears of the policy shapers so that medicine is set up and the people that are prospering and making money are going to continue to make money. It's working just as they plan. It's not working for the patient and it's not working for the doctor, is it? So I woke up and I, I thought like, it's got to be a grassroots and I, I can tie it to legacy medicine, but I started paying attention and it did seem to me that there's a lot of groups that make their groups politically leaning one way or another. And I don't think that's a good idea. Because as physicians and as patients, I think there's a lot that we agree with. And I think Americans like it better, too, when you are finding agreement across the aisle. So our group, Practicing Physicians of America, really, we don't talk about donating money to one party. We, we're not political in the way that we're one-sided about who we speak for or against when we speak for good policy and we speak out against bad policy. So we started PPA at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And then I started writing more about the cost of healthcare. And uh, it's it's because of knowing where, where the money's going in politics. And in, when you figure out where they're making the money and how they're making the money, you got to re-rig the rules so they're fair for everyone is what I say. So this is the reason why I wanted you on this podcast, because a lot of the things that you're talking about are like news to me. Like I knew some of it, but I didn't realize like six or seven out of 11, <laughs> right? I, like I didn't realize any of that. So for the practicing physicians of America, what what's the mission of it? What does the organization do? It's simply stated, um, we would say we attempt to remove obstruction so physicians can practice as they were trained. Oh, you that know, is so beautiful. You know, you know, if you think about it, like how many physicians do you know, Dr. Una, that have like, you know, they tell you they don't have time for the patient anymore because they have a million hoops to jump through, whether it's prior auth or, you know, they have to fill out their MIPS requirements or they have to do their MOC or, you know, they, they have to get the, the CAT scan approved for their patient. They have to do whatever it is that their hospital's telling them, go to their meetings. You know, there's two thirds of our time is spent on busy work instead of patient work. And the most valuable thing that we have to give is our time, because that's really, you know, the definition of our expertise there. Yeah, our time and using our brain for what we train the brain to do, right? As opposed to all the hoops that we're, we're trying to go through. So over the years, so you've talked about this was founded in 2016. What are some of the things that you've been able to do, some of the wins that you've been able to have with the mission? Yeah. So we're fairly famous for our co-founder, Dr. Westby Fisher, as he's been a very outspoken critic of the maintenance of certification program that we all suffer under. And he's, he's really a mentor to me because he taught me how to expose the conflicts of interest that exist within any organization. So our big 
win in a way on mock was we crowdsourced funded and made possible the lawsuit against the American Board of Internal Medicine. Unfortunately, the lawsuit did not win on its appeal. However, there's several other lawsuits still pending about mock for the Board of Radiology and the Board of Psych and Neuro. So it also put a dent in it. And I think people are more aware because like then they started reading Wes's work. Other things that I think that PPAA has done are members, Dr. Brian Dixon, he's a child psychiatrist down in Texas. He's really exposing the needs of especially communities of color to get mental health care. And he does some wonderful podcasts and he's gotten very involved in his community. Dr. Naran Alagba and I are both fairly prolific writers. She's out there in Washington state. She's my PD counterpart on the West Coast. I'm here in Pennsylvania. She has a regular column in her local paper, and I am actually on the editorial board of my local paper. So it's an unpaid position, but I've learned a lot about writing. I've done a lot more writing. Among the group of us, we have gotten things published in the Wall Street Journal, The Hill, Fortune Magazine, The Washington Times, The Philadelphia Inquirer, So we've done a lot of publications. And I think that's very useful because then you have like a little package that you can share. You can use it on social media so that you're educating people and you can share it with patients and physicians. One of the big pluses that that I think that PPA has done, we got together in a coalition with, it's now 31 other groups, I believe. So PPA is part of the Free to Care Coalition, 32 member groups. We're not telling anyone what to do in the groups, but it's a total of now 70,000 physicians and 8 million citizens that are agreeing. Our mission is amplifying the voice of the patient and the physician so that we make healthcare price transparent, personal, portable, affordable, and accessible. I mean, that's what we all want, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about that statement, we all want to know what it costs. We all want it to be more personalized. We want it to be portable. We want to be able to get it where we need it. We need it to be affordable and we want it to be accessible. So the the free to care coalition, that collection is just people who agree with the tenants in our platform paper. And I, I'm one of the two prime authors on the platform paper. We wrote that in 2019 and we invited physicians across the country, across the aisle, across all specialties to come to a meeting at the Library of Congress. It was really special. We invited lawmakers across the aisle. We invited, we know people within our coalition knew Joe Biden then and Bill Clinton. We invited them to come and speak. They couldn't make it. We invited Ben Carson and he could. And, you know, he gave a really lovely address it wasn't at all political. It was more discussing how it was wonderful to have a group of physicians together looking to solve problems. And, you know, so what we did was we gave a pathway. What could we do to help create a path forward, nonpartisan ideas? We stated very clearly in the paper, we don't want to talk about repealing Obamacare. We don't want to talk about Medicare for all because that starts healthcare food fights. You know, then people politicize. Instead, let's talk about little discrete things that we can work on together that are good ideas. I've had lawmakers tell me, you know what? The doctors are going to love this. The patients are going to love this. The lawmakers are going to have to be dragged kicking and screaming to do this because you're taking away the gravy train. Now, isn't, isn't that a shame that something that is good for the patient and good for the doctors is not happening because it's not, quote unquote, good for the lawmakers? Isn't that wild? Well, the fact that someone would say that, and I'm not naming things there, but they're kind of like, they immediately see it. Yep, this is the stuff that we have to do. And boy, it's going to be a battle. But the only way that you win that battle is, you know, you raise awareness among physicians and raise awareness among patients and then put the pitchforks in their hands and then tell them to go after their own lawmakers. And now for a quick word from our sponsor. 
This episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast is sponsored by the EntreMD Business School. We didn't get any business education during our medical training, and this school fixes that. It is the only school of its kind that helps physicians become thriving entrepreneurs who make money, have impact, and have time for the things that matter. You will get the coaching, accountability, and community you need to be successful. To find out more and to save your spot, go to EntreMDBusinessSchool.com. And now for the rest of the episode. So I'm going to ask you this question. This is for doctors on an individual level, because I'm going to come to, you know, how we can um, work together as a group, how we can support what you're doing, how we can support PPA. So as a physician, you have resident physicians, you have people who just graduated, you have people who've been attending for 10 years, you have, you know, the whole line. How should doctors be thinking differently and what kind of actions should they be taking on an individual level to be part of the solution? So what I, what I'd like to say is, first of all, start reading and start understanding how things are affecting you and not just how they're affecting you, how they're affecting other specialties, because it's all going to bubble down to the same thing. Like one of the examples I liked to use from last year, surprise medical billing. You know, we've all heard about this. The insurance companies formed networks. And when they formed these artificial constructed networks, and then the networks narrowed very frequently, physicians were not in the networks for various reasons. And then we had a situation in which patients could receive bills outside the purview of what their insurance was covering. So an emergency could happen and the insurance company wouldn't cover the emergency if you weren't in the network, which is really just absurd. I mean, aren't they there just to, if you think about the idea of insurance, it's supposed to take care of you when there's an unforeseen circumstance. But people, I think in, even in medicine, physicians that didn't understand the problem would blame the ER docs because that's like one of the main places that surprise billing happened. Well, it's all the ER docs fault. They're making us look bad. And we were allowed to be divided that way. And it's a problem. So we, I'm not going to delve into the specifics of surprise medical billing. It is pretty complicated, but I made it my business to know about it, even though I'm not an ER doc. Because if, if we have a problem with our emergency room docs and we lose emergency room physicians because they can't do the job anymore, because the way that the fix was going to go in was going to benefit the insurance companies and there was going to be a lot of early retirements. Well, we don't have ER docs in our community. That's going to affect us all, isn't it? And I think we have to start paying attention to other specialties, problems, and issues. And instead of just like, well, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I'm going to hang with just my issue. I think we have to, you know, pay attention to our brothers and sisters in medicine. So, you know, that's one thing I'll say is, is that pay attention in your own sphere, but also start thinking about how things outside of your sphere are being affected for other doctors because it'll trickle down and bite you. I think another thing that I would say is be involved at the state level first, because a lot of legislation happens at the state level and, you know, people get tied up in the national stuff and think that that's where all the important stuff comes down. But I really encourage people to join their state medical society. And, you know, they usually have houses of delegates and annual meetings and get involved and, you know, become a delegate. Uh, because the other thing that that will do brings me to number three, start meeting other physicians and discussing the problems. You know, in addition to fixing the problems for our patients and for ourselves, when you start to get involved in advocacy, it does something else. It's like a bomb about the moral injury and the burnout that we all talk about, because all of a sudden you find other people just like you that are suffering from the same problems. And even the act of getting together and talking about them, even if you can't fix them right away, it's such a stress relief. And my 
goodness, like all of these physicians now that we're hearing about the, the suicide rate. I mean, getting together with others, it's, it is just such a relief to find out, oh, there's other people who think like me. Because when, when we leave residency, very often we're in our small practices, we're in our silos, and we're not meeting with others. When you start getting involved in advocacy in groups, it's like going back to medical school. Like it, it feels like how, do you remember your first year? Yeah. You know, you were brothers and sisters, right? Yep. And no matter what the challenge was, we can face it because we're doing it together. Absolutely. And then lastly, like I do encourage people to find a grassroots group to join. I mean, we've got 32 groups here on free to care. Those groups all grow. The strength of the organization grows. And, you know, it's it's very transparent. Like if you go on there, you, you can see, you know, what are we about? Well, you go onto the platform underneath home and you can read what we're about. We're not trying to hide anything. We're not secretly, <laughs> the executive director works for free. Those of us writing this paper, which we put out there in public, you know, you, we do that for free. It's a service. And the, by the way, we're in the process of writing the updated version of the pathway. We, we should have just written a book because it's like a book level. <laughs> it's gotten too big. So, so that that leads me into the next question. Thank you for, for taking the time, right? Because what you did is you are empowering individual physicians to say, okay, this is what I can do. Because the problem is a big problem. And sometimes it's like, that's so big, there's nothing I can do about it, right? But you've given us four things that we can do about it starting today. And so the next thing would be, well, there are already organizations like your organization that are established and are at the forefront, if you will. So, you know, the, the thought about doctors changing medicine is that there's a million of us. There's strength in numbers. If we don't like the system, if we don't like the experience we're having in the system, we can change it. So how can we as a community support what you are doing through PPA? Yeah. So you could join. So you can go onto the website and join and that's a help. And we're happy to have donations. And then I'll be very clear, the donations do not, we, none of us take a salary on this board, none of us. And, you know, the donations go towards keeping up the website. Someday we'd love the donations to help with our travel expenses. And with very few exceptions, all the traveling that I do when I go to Harrisburg or DC, you know, wherever it is that I'm going, it's on my own time and dime. That's okay. I don't mind. But eventually it would be nice, you know, to have that. I think that Another thing that I see physicians doing is sharing information. So if you see something on our blog or you see something that a PPA board member has put out or something that's getting uh, tweeted about on free to care, share it, you know, go to it, read it, share it, share your information that, that's out there, you know, share what we what we have and what we know, you know, you're right together, we, we make a stronger voice. Um, you know, you and I met on, on social media, and, and there's a lot of doctor social media groups, people think of Facebook sometimes as a trite thing, I think of it as a great way to organize and unify around some common goals, and to have discussions. And, you know, Actually, one of the other things that people could do is they could try their hand at writing or speaking themselves. One of the best things that's happened for me or the best things that I see are when I see other physicians that start to write and then they discover that they have their voice, they find their voice. So Christina Dewey is a pediatrician in Minnesota. Yes. Shout out to her. It was, I'm not going to say it's because of me, but she sent me something a while back and said, Hey, could you read this? I'd like to submit it somewhere. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is excellent. I, very few changes here. And I encouraged her and you know, she got 
something published. That's that's happened with other people. Diana Londano is a urologist out in California. You know, same thing. She we hadn't I think she had seen comments that I had made on a Facebook post somewhere and she sent me a long Facebook message and my response was is take that and clean it up, get it to 750 words and publish it. It's beautiful. She did. And she was just, when she sent me a message, she's like, I can't believe this. It's getting published in Kevin MD. She was so excited. Well, I'm excited because more of us writing and speaking and having that voice, so important. And then, you know, like getting to know people that can affect, you know, your your own community. So, you know, I brought up getting involved at the state level. I've testified in Harrisburg twice on non-medical switching. It's a, you know, insurance companies and PBMs making patients change from a drug that's working to a drug that may not work. And I started testifying because people started reading my work and then they they found me. You know, so sometimes you'll find like patient advocacy groups, they they read your pieces that you're writing and, you know, they'll invite you to, you know, come join them on calls. I, I spent my birthday this year, I think on six calls with Democrats from Pennsylvania, congressmen and congresswomen and their, their staff, you know, talking about the issues of the middlemen in healthcare and how patients are not getting what they need. And, you know, so I'm meeting these fantastic patient advocates, but they found me because they found my writing. So, you know, if people can can start to write and speak, and if they don't feel comfortable, then at least share the writings of others. It's a great way to you know, get some information going. Now, this is, you've given us a whole lot. So PPAA, join, donate. And I'm going to say this, if, if you're a doc listening and you are really bothered by what, the way the system is, you know, vote with your voice, but vote with your wallet too. So, you know, she's going to give us the website in a second. Go donate, go be part of the change, share the blog, share their tweets and stuff like that. Own your voice, write or speak and then collaboration. So she gave us four things we can do as individuals, five things we can do to support what other organizations that are already doing. Thank you so much for that. Um, where can people find PPA? Where, what's the website? Practicing physician.org practicingphysician.org. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to give you the free to care site. So you can see the original platform paper and hopefully within a month or so we'll have our updated version, but that is uh, free to care, free, the number two care.org. And both organizations are on Twitter. We don't have like, you know, public sites past there. It's just we're volunteers and it's too much to take. You can also find me on LinkedIn as my name. I'm I'm me everywhere. Marianne Mass on Twitter, Marianne Mass on LinkedIn, Marianne Mass on Facebook. No assumed name. I'm out there. All right. She's out there and you should follow her. So find the website, join the organizations. There's a million of us. We can affect change. We can. Now, I usually end the episodes this way. I say that you know, for everyone listening, that they should share the episodes with all the doctors in their lives. And the reason for that is, well, this is the way we create change. This is the way we galvanize the troops because, you know, like you alluded to before, we're kind of like in silos, but this is the way we come together and say, okay, enough is enough. We're going to have a different experience. So what reason would you give a doctor listening right now that this is the reason why you should share this podcast episode with the doctors? in your life. Do you want to sustain our profession? And do you want your grandchildren to have good quality health care that's accessible and affordable in the future? Well, you heard it. Can't get more serious than that. <laughs> Can't get more serious than that. All right, people. So you heard her share the episode, share the episode. And, and Dr. Mass, I want to say, you know, I know that there must be a lot of challenges that you have to face to go through this, but you're a true advocate. You've been that way for a long time. And I want to thank you for going through the challenges for 
you know, daring all of that and doing what you do for the physician community because it makes a difference. And for raising awareness and, you know, taking it all the way to the policymakers, I appreciate what you do. And I'm sure this community appreciates what you do as well. Thank you. You know what? I really honestly enjoy myself. And I, I know not everyone's going to be able to to do this. I only work part-time as a physician. I made a conscious choice to, to be able to have enough time to advocate. And I'm lucky, very, very blessed. Medical school was a lot less expensive when I went through it. So I really feel for these younger physicians that are sitting on these loans and then are getting out and thinking like, wow, this isn't what I uh, what I envisioned. I, I want them to be there. I want them to stay there. I want them to have the joy in medicine. And um, I want, I'm very selfishly, I want care for myself when I'm old and decrepit and I want care for my children and God willing for grandchildren someday. Yeah. And you know, you're on it, you're working. And I like that you said, you know, not everybody can do what you do because what you do is very, is very unique, very important, but very unique. And that's the reason why, you know, I really wanted you to spend the time to tell us how we can support what you do because you're already like the arrowhead, you know, out there getting things done. And we may not be able to initiate like you do, but we can follow your lead. So, so thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, people. So you heard her share the episode and you heard the steps she gave for what you need to do as an individual and what you need to do to support their work. So I want to challenge you to do that. You've complained about the system. This is how we change the system. So be the change that you want to see. And I will see you on the next episode of the Doctors Changing Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Now, this is too good for you to keep to yourself. So I want you to do three things. Number one, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Number two, share this episode with all the doctors in your life. Number three, share it on social media. Until next time, remember, you are a huge part of a movement changing medicine, one podcast episode at a time.